This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Chukas. So the Pasik says the following. This is Chukas HaTorah, the decree of the Torah. A Chayk is a mitzvah that we don't know the reason. Right? There are chukim, there are mitzvahs that we don't know the reason. Why can't you eat it? Why can't you eat something that's not kosher? It's the same as another animal. An animal's an animal, right? A pig's a pig is an animal. We don't know why. We just know that if it doesn't have split hooves and chew its cud, you're not allowed to eat it, right? We don't know why. So there's many mitzvahs in the Torah that we, some mitzvahs we do understand, some mitzvahs we don't understand. So the Torah is telling us this is the representation of a mitzvah that we don't understand. Talk to the Bnei Yisrael. Take for yourself para aduma, a red cow, or in English, a red heifer. But tamima, perfect, that it doesn't have any black hairs or white hairs. Asher ba mum, that has no blemish. Asher loy that does not, that never had a yoke. Animals, they put a yoke on them, and ox and, and other animals to pull, um, to pull different things in the farm, right? To pull the plow. So if you put an, a, a, a yoke on it, you can't use it anymore. So the Paraduma, actually right now there is one in Lakewood. They're not talking about it, but there is one in Lakewood. They brought some Rabbanim from Israel to see it. It's on a non-Jewish person's farm. Um, it's perfectly red. But last time they had one, they started t- showing it to people, and all of a sudden it grew two black hairs. It wasn't good anymore. So this one they're keeping under wraps. But it brings down that in the times of Mashiach, there will be a Paraduma born. So... No visitors yet. Mitzvah Hashem will see. That's the one in Lakewood. It is good. But they're not letting anyone get near it. But I heard they bought some Rabbanim to look at it. Whatever. Okay. So now. Says Rashi. So Vachaik. If you ask me. Rabbi Wallstein. What is the mitzvah in the Torah that represents a mitzvah without a reason? Vachaik. Zayitzchuk HaSatayra is the Paraduma. Says Rashi. Why is this the chayk? The mitzvah that we, there's a lot of other mitzvahs that we don't know. The fee because Satan, the bad guy, the Satan, and the Goyim, they bother the Jewish nation. to say to us, What's up with this red heifer with this mitzvah? What's the reasoning behind it? Therefore, the Torah calls it a chayk. says Hashem. It's a gzera, an edict from before me. You are not allowed to think about this mitzvah paraduma. That's very strange. God is saying that it's a gzera. You're not allowed to think about this mitzvah paraduma. So, this Rashi doesn't really make a lot of sense. Why? Because we all have a Yetzirah. Everybody has a Yetzirah, right? Machlek is when you get the Yetzirah. When you're born or when you're formed in your mother's womb. Machlek is when you get the Yetzirah. Most mothers think that the baby gets it when they're formed in the womb because they kick them and they keep them up at night and they give them heartburn. So why would he do that if he didn't have a Yetzirah? But the Machlek is when, when the Yetzirah shows up. Now, I don't think if I ask all the women in this room if the Yetzirah ever came to you in your conscience and said, what's up with the Paraduma? I mean, he comes to you about a lot of things. But I never heard a girl tell me, I have a Yetzirah, what, what, what's Yetzirah? I have a question on the Paraduma. It's like, Yetzirah doesn't leave me alone. It's not something the Yetzirah bothers us about. So how could Rashi say that this is the Chayk, Paraduma is the Chayk, because that's what Yetzirah is going to bother you about. Number one. Number two... I travel a lot, and I do a lot of business. And all the years I'm doing business, 37 years, and I travel to Utah a lot, and I'm on the plane with Mormons, and I'm on the plane with Christians, and I'm on the plane with all kinds of people. And, you know, when they sit next to you, they see the yarmulke, they have questions. They have a lot of questions. Why do you wear strings? You know, why do you wear tzitzit? Why do you wear strings? So that's easy. I'm a Jew with strings attached. So that, that works all the time. But why do you wear that thing on your head? And, and, and why do your girls have to have skirts that long? And, and why, do you, why can't you eat something that's like chicken, like why isn't all chicken, chicken's kosher for you, I know that Jews eat chicken, so how come you can't eat the chicken on the plane they have all these questions, never ever did a non-Jew come up to me and say, uh 
how come you guys have this red cow business? Nobody ever asked me that question. I don't think anyone who went to college or whoever you met that wasn't Jewish that you worked with ever asked you, you know, I heard about this red heifer business, you know, ashes and you sprinkle it. So nobody ever asked us that question. Rashi says, the reason this is the biggest chayk, because the satan's going to bother you all the time about it. Not true. Rashi says that the goyim are always going to bother you about this question. Not true. And why would Hashem make a gezerah that you're not allowed to talk to think about it? Let's go, let's think about the part of doom. Why not? What's, what's going to happen to me if I think about the part of doom? So it seems to be that Rashi is talking about something very different. What's the chayk of the paraduma? The chayk of the paraduma, what do they do with the paraduma? They burn it, they take the ashes and mix it with water, and they sprinkle it on Tomei people. In the base Hamidish, they burnt a lot of korbanos. So why specifically this one? And they sprinkled blood, right? There was a hazal, there was always sprinkling blood every carbon. Why is this a chayk? We, we, we bring a lot of different carbonos. Why is the paraduma such a, such a chayk? And the answer is, that it's not the carbon part of the paraduma. That's not, what's, that's not the question. The question is, the, paradu, the paraduma does something which seems illo- illogical, totally illogical. What does it do? The kayane, who's pure, sprinkles the ashes on the person who's impure. The person who's impure becomes pure, and the person who sprinkles the kayan who's pure becomes impure. Now it's impossible if if I have the ability of making the person from tame to tar, how could I become tame? I'm the guy making this guy tar. So at the same moment I'm making him tar, even if you say I'm tame, I'm making myself I'm making myself tar. How is it possible that the good guy, the kayan who's pure becomes the bad guy, becomes impure, and the bad guy, so to say, who's impure, becomes pure. In Israel, they would say, that low fair. Is that low fair? The good guy gets tummy? Who wants that? Why would a client even do this? What that really represents in a much deeper meaning is, why do good people get punished? And why do bad people get rewarded? The bad guy is becoming pure. The pure guy is becoming impure. That's not fair. So the, the, the question, the chayk behind the paraduma is, this is unfair and illogical. Now, that is something that the Yitzhahara bothers us all the time. What do you mean? I'm a good girl. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm sneers. I went to seminary. I, I say the, the whole Tehillim every week. I went to Amukah. I say Shira Shirim. I say the, the, the Shirim of the animals. I say everything that you're supposed to. And I'm, 40, I'm 35 years old and I'm not married. And the girl, my friend, who did, wasn't Sneers, who had boyfriends, right? She ready, she's married, and she's ready 15 years, and she has five kids. Is that a little fair? It looks like the good person is not getting rewarded, and the bad person is getting rewarded. So the HR does this all the time. All the time. So that's what Rashi's saying. The concept behind the Paraduma is something that the HR bothers us all the time. Sadik Viraloi. Good people suffer. Bad people have a great time. We don't understand that. Says Hashem, you can never understand that. What you need to do is to understand that you can't understand that. So Hashem says, you can't start thinking about why good people suffer because you're going to end up becoming an apikiris. That's what's going to end up happening. On top of that, when the Rashi says that the Goyim are going to bother you, I've had this many times where Goyim said to me, you know, you're the chosen nation, right? You're the children of God. Why would you have a holocaust? I'd rather not be, a, I'd rather be the nephew of God. That way I don't have a holocaust. The children of God have a holocaust, the Spanish Inquisition, Crusades, the Arabs, everybody wants this little piece of land called Israel. I mean, it's much better not to be chosen. You guys claim to be chosen. It's much better not to be chosen. Right? So the Graham also have this question. The Jewish nation, they seem to be suffering much more. So they bother us about it. And they say, come join us. We're partying. We're having a great life. What do you need to suffer for? Eat kosher, just sneeze. What do you need this for? That's what Rashi is talking about. Rashi's not talking about the paraduma. Rashi's talking about the tzaddik viraloi. When you see good things and when you do good things and it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to. And the person who's not doing good things is living the life of Riley. 
That's, Hashem says, you cannot ask this question. We have this in the Asari Ruge Malchus. The Asari Ruge Malchus that we're going to say, that we say, I hope Tisha we won't say it. It'll be a Simcha, a Yantiv. But the Asari Ruge Malchus, so it says when they, when Yeshua Kain Gadol, when they were peeling the skin off his head, off his face, because uh, the, the wicked, the wicked uh, princess wanted his face, so they were peeling his face, Mamash, while he was alive. And they came to the place of his tefillin, and they peeled off his his forehead. They peeled that all off his head. It said he let out such a scream that the whole world shook. Why did he let out such a scream? It wasn't as painful when they peeled his cheeks off and his, and his, and his chin, but because now he couldn't put on tefillin shorosh anymore. And when he had no more skin and hair to put a tefillin shorosh anymore, that's when he let out a scream. That you can't do to me. Take away my tefillin shorosh. So when he let out the scream, the malachim, the angels, went to God and said. This is how you reward Taira, a tzaddik like this, that you, you're letting them peel his skin while he's alive. This is, this is what you're doing to the good person? Hashem said to the Malachim, as we say in the Kinnis, if I hear one more word from you, I will turn the world into Taira back into absolute nothingness. So Chazal asked, Hashem did not answer the question. They asked the question. This is how you reward. This is how you reward someone who's good. So Hashem didn't answer the question. He said, "If I hear another word, he threatened them. If I hear another word from you, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the world back to Tayyavavayu." What kind of answer is that? The Malachim asked you a question, Hashem. Is this the way you? Is this the way you repay Tayra? So answer the question. Hashem said, "No." If I hear one more word, I'm destroying the world. Says Chazal, "No." Hashem was not threatening them. He was answering them. He said, "If you want to know the answer." To why this is happening, I got to go back to the beginning of the world and show you from the beginning to the end. You got to see the whole story. I can't just explain to you the middle of the story. You have to see the beginning of the story and you have to see the end of the story. When you see the beginning and the end, then you'll understand. So Malachim, if you were going to ask me again that you need to know the answer to this question, I have to destroy the world. I have to take it back to Torah Bavayu. You have to see the first day till the last day. Then you'll understand what's going on in the middle. So, Vizera Milafana Hashem says, don't try to try to figure out why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And that is the chayk of the paraduma that we're talking about in this, in, 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 in this parsha. And it's interesting because the Misa, the Kayan who becomes Tameh, right? He goes through a certain purification process and then he becomes, he becomes pure too. So the Kayan who's making the other person who's not pure, pure, in the end he also becomes pure. So a person, sometimes, this is my own, my own thought, no, you're not allowed to become impure, but sometimes you, you feel that you're giving away time and, and, you know, to other people, to help other people, the Misa, Hashem in the end gives you back that time. You're not losing anything. So in the end the Kayan does lose, it becomes Tameh, and it's just an interesting who the Kahanam were, because Kahanam worked two weeks a year, two weeks a year. It's in my genetics, only to work two weeks. I tell my wife, she goes, why don't you go to work? I'm like, Kahana, we work two weeks. 52 weeks, we work two weeks. But that's all they worked. They only worked two weeks a year with their Mishma because there were a lot of Kahanam. So the rest of the year, they were actually Rabbeim. They were teachers. So they only worked two weeks. And it brings down, they were so scared of Tomei to become Tomei. Because if you're Tomei, you can't work those two weeks. That's it, you blew it. So they were very careful not to become Tomei. Interesting, my Rebbe said, Rabbi Gamil, who's also a Kayin, he says, as careful as a Kohen had to be not to get become Tomei, the Kohen Gadol from Yom Kippur had to be very careful, right? He was, says if the Kohen Gadol was going to the base Hamikdash and there was a mace mitzvah, there was a dead body, and, and he was the only one there, and the body has to be buried, and there's nobody around, now Allah is, where a mace mitzvah, the Kohen Gadol has to bury the mace mitzvah, he becomes Tomei, he can't do that void on Yom Kippur. So, my Rebbe said that some, some kids that you work with, right, and nobody else is helping them, it's considered like a May Smith. So you have to give up. Because I was complaining, I don't have time to learn. I don't have time to do certain things that I want to do. You know, I'm busy with all these kids. And he, would, he said, if you were the coin Gadol, you'd have to be busy with these kids. It's considered a May Smith, so no one else is helping them. If you're the one on the spot to help them, you have to drop everything. Everything. Fill in, davening, everything. There's a, a, a Jewish child that's has to show them in, in, in a chance of being a mace mitzvah, ODing and drugs, whatever it is, you have to drop everything. 
you're learning everything. You have to drop to save the kid. So that's what he told me. He says, if you learn a little bit less, you have to understand that these kids are like considered, some of them are considered like, like a masonry. So, but anyway, so this is a, this is this week's Pasha, Pasha's Chukas. This is the Paraduma. And maybe, I didn't see this anywhere, but maybe, like, why it says that, that in the times of Mashiach we're going to have a Paraduma. Why? What do I need a Paraduma? I need a red cow in Lakewood? Like, what's it going to do for me? Until there's a base of Mishnah, I can't do anything with the cow. So I'm going to, we're all going to go look at this Paraduma. All of us are going to go, let's say it, it, it should last, right? And it's a real Paraduma. And everyone goes to look at the Paraduma. Okay, now you saw a Paraduma. You saw a red cow. Right? Now what? You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't shecht it. You can't make, you can't burn it. It's, we don't have a base of Migdash. So why are you bringing me a red cow? You're teasing me? You're giving me the red cow and I can't do anything with it? Hashem, why are you doing it? So my thought process when I was preparing the boy's shear is, Hashem is bringing a red cow before Mashiach to teach us, right, that we can become Tahar, even though we're Tameh, and everything that we went through, right, that this red cow represents that the Tameh can become Tahar. So that it's, it's, it's a representation, even though we can't bring it as a carbon, it gives us hope that no matter how Tameh we are, right, that the Paraduma represents, and what does it represent? What do we just say? Tzadik Viralai. So here we are, we're going through a Gullus, we're keeping Shabbos, we're keeping kosher, we're going, we're learning Torah, we're doing what we're supposed to do, and things seem to be getting worse. More cancer, more kids off the derech, more divorces, you know, more disabilities, more mental illness. Hello? Christ will never learn as much as it's learning right now. Never. We didn't have a daf yaymi, now we have a daf yaymi. The, the, the kailalim, we have hundreds, thousands of kailalim, of yeshivas, all the girls are learning in Beis Yaakov's and schools and seminaries. They never had seminaries. They had one seminary in Sarashnir was the first seminary. You have 15 seminaries. Every year there's another five seminaries. 20 seminaries in Israel. Girls are learning. They know Mishle by heart, Shirashirim by heart. They know Gemara. Girls know everything. They know more than guys. Guys are steiging, right? Okay, there's another side to it. There's never been so much Tyra. There's never been so much Chesed. Never has it been so much Chesed. Really. How much chesed Klaisol does right now? It's not normal. Never so much chesed, never so much Torah, and we have more sickness, and more kids off the derech, and more divorces, and more people not having, not even being able to have children. It looks like that the better we are, the worse it is. That's paraduma. Tzadik viraloi. So Kishbachu is going to bring the paraduma in the times of Mashiach to let us know that Sadiq Viralai, but the Paraduma is a representative that we, something that we don't understand, right? The good guy goes bad and the bad guy goes good. But in the times of Mashiach is the end of the world, the beginning of the new world, then you'll understand. So the Paraduma comes before the new world for us to understand that Sadiq Viralai, there's a reason. Russia Vatayloi, there's a reason. There's a reason Saudi Arabia has oil in the trillionaires and Israel has no oil. They're not that far from each other, right? There's a reason. There's a reason. We don't know why. And you should have all the oil. Come on, we should have oil. Saudi Arabia has oil. Iraq has oil. Iran has oil. The only one that doesn't have oil is Israel. That's not fair. And everybody wants it. The answer is, Hashem says, you're not allowed to think about this. I have a cheshman of what I do. And if you're going to start thinking about that cheshman, you start trying to figure out why there's a holocaust, you're going to go totally off to derech. Okay. Now, there's another part in Chukas. The second part, well, there's a bunch of parts of Chukas. Very sad Pasha. Chukas is a very sad Pasha. Who dies in Chukas? Miriam dies in Chukas. And after Miriam dies, the water stops. Because the water came in her honor. By Tomasha Miriam. In the month of Nisan. And they buried her. There was no water. Like Aaron, so they complained. They came and gathered. So they said, "Why you always the same thing? Why you take us out of Mitzrayim to bring us to this terrible place? You promised us to Eina, figs, geffen, grapes, rimon, pomegranates. Umayamayim lishtos. We don't even have water. Okay. So they came to Dama to Hashem, Moshe and Aaron. So Hashem said, "Vaydaba Hashem Moshe Lema, kaches hamate, take the stick, v'hakalos Eida, and." Talk to the rock. Vidibatim al Selah. Leinayim. Venasan Meimav. And it's going to give water. Okay? Vayikach Moshe es hamate. 
He takes the stick, like Hashem said. That's Hashem told him, take the stick, but talk to the, to the rock. And Moshe said the following. First time he really sort of lost it. He said, Listen to me, you rebels. I'm going to take water out of this rock. He lifted his hand. And he hit the rock twice. And the water came flying out, but he did a very big sin. Because Hashem told him to talk to the rock. Hashem wanted to show Klai Yisrael Rachamim. Because he had told him last time to hit the rock, and he hit the rock, that was before, and the water came out, he wasn't punished because he was supposed to hit the rock. But that was Din. Hashem wanted to show Klai Yisrael that he could bring water without hitting, with talking, with Rachamim. And by him hitting the rack, he showed once again what Klai Yisrael said, Oh, Hashem is din. So, Because you didn't make a Kiddush Hashem, but you made a Chil Hashem, You're not going to bring the Jews into the Eretz Yisrael, even though Moshe Rabbeinu loved Eretz Yisrael very much. And that was called the Mei Meriva. So what's going on over here? Why Moshe hit the rack? There's a, there's a... I think it's in Mishnah... We say it in, um, that no bad can come through someone who is involved with the rabbin. Right? Tzaddik, lo yobechet al-yodai. A good, a tzaddik, he's protected that a sin won't come through his hand. Moshe Rabbeinu was the ultimate tzaddik. He did this ultimate sin. He hit the rock instead of spoke to it. How could that happen? How could Hashem let them happen? A, a, a tzaddik is supposed to be protected. He's supposed to be protected from an avera. How could, how could he have done this avera? So a lot of Mephoshim asked this question. Moshe never made a mistake before. Moshe doesn't make mistakes. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't make mistakes. This is a huge mistake. Hashem said, talk to the rock, and he hit the rock. How does anyone here understand? Oh, Moshe made a mistake. We in the Pasuk. Oh, Moshe made a mistake. He hit the rock. You didn't hear clearly? You hear clearly. He's Moshe Rabbeinu. You don't make mistakes. So, what happens? So it's very scary if you're a teacher, or a leader, or a rabbi, or a rebbe, or in any position like that, because Chazal says what happened is as follows. Moshe Rabbeinu was always protected. No mistakes. But the minute he said, Shimunah HaMayrim, he called them rebels, he spoke badly about Klai Yisrael, the protection was lifted. Because he said Shimunah HaMayrim, once he called them rebels, he was no longer their leader, Therefore, he lost the protection of being the leader, and no longer did he have that siyata deshmaya not to make a mistake. He didn't hit the rock and then say, "You rebels." He said, "You rebels." Hashem said, and it's, the Chazal says this, and it's very scary. No matter how bad the Jews are, no person has a right to talk bad about them. So a rebbe. Or a leader, including me, after learning this, you know, because I do give Musr, a lot of Musr, you're never allowed to talk bad about Klaistro. Moshe Rabbeinu, on his level, just called them rebels, and they were rebels. They were complaining about everything, right? They were rebels. They didn't lie. Doesn't matter. You're the leader, you don't call my children rebels. I'll call them whatever I want to call them, but you don't call my children rebels. It's sort of like PTA when the teacher says something bad, you know, the parents are like, you can't say that about my kid, I can. So Moshe Rabbeinu lost that Siyad Rishmai. How careful we have to be. People talk, oh yeah, I know this Jew and he did this and this rabbi did that and abuse and stealing and that and that. Uh-uh-uh-uh. You can't talk bad about Jews. No matter what they are, no matter what they do. Hashem can talk with everyone. You cannot talk to them. The minute Moshe Rabbeinu made a judgment on his nation and called them rebels, the first time he ever called them any names. The minute he said, Shimunah Mayrim, he lost his, he lost his Siyad Rishmai. Pretty scary. All right. Onward in the pasture. So, she dies, Miriam. He gets cut out of Eretz Yisrael in this week's pasture, Moshe Rabbeinu. And then his brother, Aaron, dies. Okay? So he lost Aaron, Miriam, his two biggest supporters, and he lost his chance to go into Eretz Yisrael. It was a tough pasture. Okay. Now listen to what happens. Klai Yisrael... They leave, they leave after they bury um, 
Aaron gets buried in Har Har Har, right? So they go to the Yamsuf, whatever. And the Jews start talking bad again about Moshe and Hashem. What do they say? Why did you take us out of Mitzrayim? We should die in the Midbar. Listen to this. There's no food. And there's no water. What are you talking about? There's mun. What do you mean there's no lechem? There's mun. It tastes like anything you want. It fills you up. You don't have to go to the bathroom. It comes from Shemayim. It's pure. You don't get fat. You don't have to be on a diet. It didn't sink in. It says that the mun didn't go into this, into the physical bodies. So if you're skinny, no matter how much mun you ate, it didn't change the fat on your body. Amazing. Right? It's amazing. Wonder bread. And that's where it came from, the word. Right? It's wonder bread from Shemayim. You made a mighty lechem in a Shemayim. Right? So what do you mean you have nothing to eat and you have no water? Oh, say Klai Yisrael. Then Avshenu and our soul, Katsa, is disgusted. The lechem hak leikel by this non-substantial food. In other words, because man, it wasn't like eating a piece of bread or eating crackers or eating potato chips. Right? It, it was like a wafer. It tastes like anything you wanted, but it wasn't watermelon. It, it tasted like watermelon, but it wasn't watermelon. You know, it wasn't lamb chops. It tasted like lamb chops, and you couldn't stick your teeth in. You didn't need a toothpick to get it between your teeth, right? So they went ahead and they said to Moshe and Hashem, we are disgusted with your mun. We don't want your mun anymore. Oh. Well, you stuck Hashem ba'am, really? You don't want my mun? So Hashem sent us hanachashem asrafim, poisonous snakes. Okay? Serpents. And they began to bite. The people, by Yamas Amrav Yisrael, and many Jews died. By Yavah they did this all the time. Now they're all dying, so they ran to Moshe. By Hashem Ubach, we sin, because we talked about against God and you. Hashem, Hashem, and remove the snakes. Get them out of here. Okay, and Moshe Davim for the nation, but Hashem did not get the snakes out of there. The tefillah was not enough. What Hashem say? Make for you a uh, sculpture of a serpent. Put the serpent on a huge stick. Whoever will look up at the snake who got bitten already, the, the snake that's on the stick, he will live. Okay? Hashem did not tell him to make a copper snake. Hashem told him to make a snake. But he made a copper snake. So he made a copper snake. He put it on the stick. We look up at the copper snake. And he would live. So now we're going to talk about this snake. Okay? First of all, why did Hashem just say when he davened? Every time he davened for the eagle, he forgave them. So he in, the snake should stop. So Hashem should have said, okay, I'm, I'm a Kabbalah Yutfilah, the snake does. But Hashem said, no, I'm not a Kabbalah Yutfilah. You gotta do something. You gotta take a snake, he made a copper snake, put it on a stick, they're gonna look up at, the, what, what's all this business? He in, so, 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 so forgive the Jews for what they did. It's not the first time, he, this happened a few times. And the answer is, why did Hashem send the snake? Why did he send the snake? There, there it was, they said, we don't like the mud. We don't want the mud anymore. We want real food. Where's the meat? Can they give me the? What does the snake have to do with that? Hashem should have done what he did every every, every time they complained. They they died in Amagefa. There was a plague, and the Jews died in Moab. Right, twenty four thousand Jews died from a plague. You have to send a snake. The snake has to bite you. Then you die from the bite. Why, why are you sending snakes, Hashem? Where's the meat? Can they give me the? Beautiful, beautiful terrors. The Midah Kinegi Midah is as follows. I'm going to read to you from inside. So it's Ma'am Lawyers. Ma'am Lawyers asked the question, why snakes? Why don't they just die? He says the following. That Kafwe Toiv, Hashem gave them man, which tasted like anything, came every morning, you didn't have to plant, you didn't have to work, you didn't have to shecht, it's not like bread, you didn't have to pick it, you didn't have to harvest it, right? You didn't have to do anything. He gave you this unbelievable present. Now you're throwing it back in his face and you're saying, this is disgusting. I don't want any part of this. Get me real food. This is the ultimate of an ingrate, a person who is ingrateful, a coffee type. 
Right? So he says the following. He says, from, from Adam, Adam Arishon, I made you a wife, so you shouldn't be alone. What happened? You complained. The woman that you gave me, she gave me, right? We talked about this. He was an ingrate. Then Yaakov, Hashem sent Yosef to betray him to save the world. And Yaakov says, Maybe I sinned. That's what caused Yosef to be, to be hidden. No, said Hashem. I did this to save the world. Okay? And he goes through all these different things. But at the bottom line, it came to the man, right? And they complained. Now, who was the biggest coffee tove? The snake. The snake was the biggest coffee tove. Why was he a coffee tove? The snake was the only animal in the world that was created with feet. He stood upright and he was able to talk. No animal had the power of speech. There was one animal Hashem created. He gave the snake the power of speech and the ability to stand. And of all the animals, the one that he gave the special, the ability to talk, he used the talking to cause Chava to do the Avera. That's the biggest ingrate. You took what I gave you special and you used it against me. So the biggest coffee type in the world was the Nachash, was the snake. Now, how do you get into Ganeid? It's a very interesting Zayar. Animals were outside Ganeidin. Adam and Chava were inside Ganeidin. So how do you get into Ganeidin? So it says that Adam and Chava made him their servant, which Hashem never told them to do. They brought him into Ganeidin because they wanted to have a servant. And he was the only one that could talk. You could talk to him. And he was the only one that could stand, right? So he was the greatest ingrate that ever existed. Hashem made this one animal you could talk and you used your talking to talk the Isha into eating from the, the one tree I told her not to eat. So he was the representative of ungratefulness, of being a kafli tov. So when Klal Yisrael, when the Jewish nation ended up over here becoming kafli tov, so the, the, the one that to bite you, right, is the one that's like you. So that was a snake. So Hashem sent snakes. But there's even a deeper Dvatara. What was the snake's punishment? Anyone here know what the snake's punishment was? That forever and ever, he will eat the dust of the earth. That's not a punishment. There's, there's dust everywhere. Every other animal has to go chase his food. This guy has, right? So the punishment is two things. One, it, everything that he tasted, that, that he ate, even if he would eat, you see snakes. You can ask me a question, Rabbi Watson, what are you talking about? I see snakes in the, they feed him hamsters. Right? If you buy a snake, that's what you feed him. You feed him hamsters and lizards. They don't eat dust. So it says that a snake has no taste buds. So everything it eats, it tastes like dirt. Whatever it eats, it tastes like dirt. doesn't have a taste bud. So whatever it eats, it tastes like dirt. And Hashem said, when I cursed the snake, that everything he eats has no taste, he didn't complain. He didn't say, it's not fair, come on. He didn't complain. And you, I give the man, and you complain? The nachash didn't complain, and you was just the opposite. It's a beautiful shot. The Mamloya says this. Why a snake? Listen to this. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta go crazy for this. You gotta take this home for Shabbos. Amazing answer. He says the following. He says, what was the snake's punishment? Miriam, what was the snake's punishment? That everything he ate tasted like dust. What was the greatness of the mud? That everything you ate tasted like what you wanted it to taste like. The opposite of the snake. The snake all tasted like dust. You can make it taste like ice cream, whatever you want. And that's what you, and you don't want that? So then you're going to get the nachash that everything tastes like dust. The mud is the opposite of the nachash. And I gave you the mud and now you're throwing it back at me? So then you'll be like the nachash. So the nachash is going to bite you. And that's what happened. The nachash bit then. But I had a little argument this past Shabbos with a therapist. I, I was sitting with a group of guys. I'm not going to say where, whatever it was. And I was telling them, all these guys went through abuse, whatever. It's a very tough group. They warned me before I walk in. And Watson, you never met such a group of guys. They're so anti, they're so full of poison against, against Yiddishkeit. You sure you want to go into that room? I'm like, let's do it. You know, me, I'm like, let's do it. What do they, what could they say? Right? Oh, you don't understand? They curse out rabbis. I'm like, let's do it. So I walked into the room and, and one of them asked me like, what's your story? So I told them my whole story and you all know my story, but I went through the eh, third grade and that and I took my backpack of being beaten up by a rabbi and being embarrassed and I used it to make sure that other kids uh, won't happen to other kids so I said to them 
we don't understand what happens to us in life. Many of, most of us, it's not our choice. Abuse, having parents that are emotionally, physically, sexually abusive, or all this, all this stuff that happens to us in life, right? Most of the time, it's not our choice. Those are my parents. That's my family. This happened to me. You know, something, I was attacked. It wasn't my choice. I didn't want this. I'm eight years old. I'm 10 years old. I didn't want all this stuff. I didn't want it, you know. So I don't want to be embarrassed in public. So that's not our choice. So what are you supposed to do with things that are not your choice? You're supposed to use them, right? You have two choices. Be depressed and and stop living, right? Because you're right. Look what happened to you. Or take that struggle muscle, that struggle that you went through and that backpack that you have of abuse or whatever you went through and use it to help others. Because if you're a superstar and you went and you have that in your backpack, you can say, "Here's my backpack. Take a look at it. It's the same as yours. I maybe I'm, I'm a superstar. Now you can be a superstar." So kids that went through the same thing you do, you can save. It's amazing. That's your choice. What happened to me in third grade? I ran away from school. I was a little kid. I didn't want to run away from school. I got whatever happened to me happened to me. So that wasn't my choice. But now, I, I, when I'm 18 years old, it is my choice. Am I going to use that to make sure I'll be a rebbe one day and kids won't go through what I went through? That's what you're supposed to do. Okay. So I had this long talk at the bookshop and went. Didn't get a chance to ask me any questions. But I have to tell you one thing that I told. This is very important. So there, a lot of them are atheists. Oh, God. Ah, God. I don't believe in God. Blah, 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 the whole thing. I said, guys, I'm not even getting... I don't have time. I'm not getting into this whole discussion. I can prove it to you from the Torah with the, with the split hose and all the other proofs from the Torah. I said, I'm going to tell you something fascinating. 37 years I'm teaching... 37 years I'm teaching, not 30, a, a class, but I'm definitely teaching Ornava 10 years and Or Yitzchak Mechaburah 17 years. And I give, I always talk Parsha. And I always teach by Yishlag Yaakov Malachim. Everyone knows that Parsha. Yaakov sent messengers to Esav. Says Rashi, Malachim, Mamish. They were real angels. I taught this a thousand times to thousands of kids. So everyone who's watching, Baruch Hashem, 500,000 hits a year. A Torah anytime. Nobody ever came over to me and said, how do you know the angels are real? How do you make an angel? How do they die? How are they born? Do they have parents? Who came before them? How old are they? All the questions people ask me about God, nobody ever asked me that question about an angel. You ever see an angel? I don't believe in God. I don't see him. You ever see an angel? No. I don't believe in God. He doesn't talk to me. Maybe some of you angels talk to, but I haven't heard one from me yet. No. So how come nobody asks? Prove me angels, Rabbi Wallerstein. How do you know they really exist? Nobody ever asked that question. And the answer is, who cares? Because I don't have to live a different way because there are angels in the world. So I don't have questions on that. I don't have to keep Shabbos because there's an angel. I don't have to wear my skirt long below my knees because there's an angel. I don't have to eat kosher because there's an angel. So it's not that you don't believe in God. Because angels are just as hard to understand and believe in as God. You don't see them. You don't hear them. How are they born? Who's there before them? What's their power? Ah! All the atheists never talk about angels. There's no atheism against angels. Why not? Because angels don't... You don't have a responsibility to them to do something in your life. So it's not God that's your question. It's not God that's your problem. It's a thing you have to do because there is a God. Oh, okay, so then we have a different discussion. So it's not question. All my answering your questions don't mean anything. They could not say one word. Think about it yourself. Did you ever ask a Rebbe or somebody, did you ever go and look at, how do you know there are angels? What the Torah talks about, Shaddaim! How many times, Miriam, did we talk about Shaddaim? The angels went to Shaddaim. The angels came to Abraham Avinu. We all know the story. Right? It was hot. Three angels showed up. Nobody in this room ever said to the teacher, where did they come from? How does an angel fly? How does it go? How does it move? Who was it born? Where does it die? How come you learned about angels your whole life? Nobody has any questions about No one has any questions about angels. Because angels don't tell you what to do. So it's not a shed that you don't believe in. It's because you have to listen to him. That's what your problem is. Your problem is not God. Your problem is his mitzvahs and his Torah. That's your problem. And being moral, that's your problem. That's the core of the problem. Anyway, that's what I did. That's what, I, that's what we talked about on Shabbos. But that's not what I was saying. Thank you, thank you. But that's not, that's not where I was going. Where was I going? I lost my train of thought. And you all not following me at all, so you have no idea where I was going. What was I saying? That I went to speak to them. 
What? Yeah, no, so I want to, what I want you to tell about the Shabbos is that the man tasted like everything, the nachash tasted like nothing, so the biggest punishment, oh, so I want, oh, so I want to tell you, oh, now I remember, thank you. So, so I told them about my life and the backpack and the muscle, you got to use it to save others. This therapist walks me home, he says, Ray Wallstein, I don't like what you just did. I said, why not? He said, because not everyone can take their pain Success, right? I said, success is using your pain to help others. That's what I said. He said, you're not allowed to say that. Success could be just surviving. What? Success could be just surviving, just staying alive. That could be success. If the guy just stays alive after the abuse, and he just stays alive, he doesn't kill himself, that's also success. You don't have to put pressure on everyone that you should use what you went through to help others. It's not fair. Not everybody can reach that level. You got there, but it's not right to put that on everyone said, I hear you. Success could be just surviving, not killing yourself, just being alive. When I got home, I said, what are you, crazy? What are you talking about? That's not success. Being alive, Hashem didn't put you in this world to just be alive. Then He could have made you a tree. You'd be alive longer than a human being. We're not here to just be alive. We're here to help others. That's success. Now, at one point when you're going through your trauma, yes, you have to be alive. Because you can't get to help anybody if you don't come to that plateau of being safe. That is success at that point. That's success that's going to lead you to the ultimate success. But if you just stay alive the rest of your life after whatever trauma you went through, that's not success. If you sit in your house in your room with the door closed and you stay alive and you don't kill yourself, that's not success. That's a point. Being alive and staying alive is the plateau that you need to get to. Because you can't, you cannot help anyone else if you want to hurt yourself. So that is part of the ultimate success is to be alive and to be safe, a hundred percent. And that's what we have to go first because there's no Kaylee. If I wanted to hurt myself, then how can I help anybody else? So that's part of it. But to be able to sit back and say, okay, I'm the therapist and I am happy now. We're done for the rest of your life. You're just going to be a blimp. You're just going to sit there, but you're going to be alive. And at least you lived 80 years and you did nothing. No, that is not success. Success is to grow. And you have to, he doesn't like, you know, reach for the stars and you reach the moon. He didn't, he doesn't like that saying he told me. I'm like, hey, if you reach for the stars and you reach the moon, at least you landed on the moon. If you, if you reach, if you want to reach the moon, you may end up somewhere between earth and the moon and that's, that's nowhere. So yes, you have to reach, you have to push. I come from a different place. You have to push, you have to grow, you have to keep going. You can't just be happy, oh, I'm successful, I'm alive. That's not enough. The animals are alive too. And birds are alive, and fish are alive, and mosquitoes are alive. Human beings have more than just being alive. We're here for Tafkin. We're here to grow and to help and to build, not just to be alive. Yes, being alive is successful if you're trying to hurt yourself. And now that you're alive, yes, you made a major step. Baruch Hashem, you're there. But don't stop. Don't stop. Don't turn around and, you know, that's it, I'm done. No, you got to keep growing. You got to keep going. You got to keep growing. You got to push yourself. You got to always push yourself. So, what's amazing, which part of what I want, so, so Hashem sent these snakes. Why snakes? Snakes, everything tastes the same. You don't want the one that tastes different? Fine. We'll teach you a lesson with the snakes. Now the question is, why would you put up a snake that I just got bitten by? I'm not looking at a snake. You should put up, if, the reason that they put it up on a stick was that you would look up, right? And when you look up, you'll do tshuva, right? Because you're looking up at Hashem. So put a Sefer Tyro. Put a parent's villain. Put a Chumash, a sitter. We're all going to look up. Why would you put the snake that bit me? I don't want to look at the thing that bit me. I'm very scared of the thing that bit me. So this is where I differ. I differ from the guy that I was talking to. And the answer is... That everything says the Zayah, everything in the physical world has a mirror in the spiritual world. If you get bitten by a snake, what do you do? Well, first of all, you know what you need to do? I learned it when I was in Boy Scouts. What you have to do, I actually took Boy Scout lessons. I wasn't really in the Boy Scouts. But we learned um, nature and all this other stuff, which comes in very good because every time I climb Bear Mountains with my class, 
being that I'm old and out of shape, I can't breathe. So I'm able to stop every five minutes and tell them, oh, let me teach you about this acorn, you can whistle. And then five minutes later, let me, oh, that's poison ivy, let's stop. We have to look at the poison ivy. Oh, that's poison oak, because I can't tell them I can't climb the mountain. So I use all my, you know, that's a cave, that's, if it rains, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. So anyway, um, so we learned that, that if you're bitten by a snake, what you need to do, the first thing you need to do is tourniquet. So let's say you're bitten, um, you're bitten over here. So you take anything, any rope, any string, whatever you have, or you rip a piece of your clothing if you don't have a string, and you tie it tight below the bite so the venom can't go to your heart. So the first thing you do, then your hand turns a little purple, but you don't allow the blood to, to carry the venom through your body. So you make a tourniquet, that's the first thing. The second thing you do is you take your pocket knife and you make an X. You cut an X where the bite is, and you suck out the venom. All those that are watching, in case it's summer, you need to know this, right? Those are the first two things you do, and then run to a hospital as fast as you can. Actually, don't run because it makes the blood go faster. But go to a hospital. Say, but that's, I have to tell you that because that's really... But what do they do in the hospital when you get there? Right? And you saw the picture of my big snake. That was by, by me in the Bear Mountain. So what do you do when you get to the hospital? What do they give you? Anti-venom. Right? They give you a shot. What is anti-venom made out of? The venom of the snake. You hear? So if that's in the physical world, we take the venom of the snake... We take the venom of the rattlesnake that's going to kill you and we use it, we turn it into anti-venom in fact, to heal you. In fact, snake handlers, right, they allow themselves to get bitten little by little by little by little until their body builds up these antibodies against, against the venom. So we use the venom of the snake to heal the bite of the snake. So in the spiritual world, when, when, he, um, when he had to heal them, he didn't give them a shot, right? Moshe Ben didn't give them a shot. So he, you had to look at the snake that bit you, realize what you did wrong, that you were a kafei taiv, do tshuva, that becomes the anti-venom, and that saves the person. So when he's looking up at Hashem, and he realizes, I can't believe, Khatasi, they said, we sinned. Look what I did, that I, that, I, that I complained about this food that tastes like everything else. So the copper snake, the snake itself, becomes the anti-venom. Becomes the antidote. And I think there's very much in life, as hard as it is, you got to steer your enemy and you got to steer him in the eye. You can't turn your back in it. So whatever, whatever, whatever you went through, you got to face it. I know it's very hard and I'm going to get a lot of emails, but you need, you need people to help you and to support you, but you got to face your ghosts or else they'll keep chasing you from behind. So Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's parsha, Hashem said, the snake that bit you, you got to look him in the eye. And if you're able to look him in the eye, the thing that bit you, you're able to look it in the eye, then you'll be, then you'll be healed. What a crazy lesson from this week's passion. You gotta look the snake in the eye. Alright, we're gonna end with a story. We have like four minutes left. I told you the story with the nails in the, in the in, I told you last week the story with the nails in, in the fence? Yes. Right? Okay. So I tell you a story, it's, it's a little different. This is a very, uh, I don't read many stories from the safer because they're very scary. Um, would you like me to turn off the air conditioning? Sure. I see everybody's freezing. There you go. If it's cold, you got to look the air conditioning in the eye. That's it. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so this is a, this is a, this book Avas Chaim is a very kabbalistic, scary book. And it has amazing, amazing stories. Most of them I would not tell you. Um, but I want to tell you a story that is this week. There's a very big lesson. One of the boys that um, heard the share last night, he called me this morning and he was like beyond himself because of the story. Because it's, it has a very scary lesson in it and that we all have to be very careful. So he says the following story. First of all, it talks about that a student can actually help its Rebbe very, very much. Um... Actually, not this week's parasha. The paraduma is mechap on the egel. The para aduma, which is the mother. The para is the mother. The egel is the veal. The egel was that vayizara that caused all the problems. So the para aduma, which is the mother, the parent, can be mechaper on the can be mechaper on the child and over here by the paraduma, and the child can also help the parent. So so a, a, a student can very much help his rebbe. The story is about a student and a rebbe. Happens to be that I have a student that many years ago he wasn't even from. And Baruch Hashem, he was my student, he was very close to me, he became from, 
he's unbelievable. He's, he's, he's unbelievable. And he learns about 14 hours a day. So he was very, very proud. He came to America, he lives in Eretz He told me, Rebbe, I want you to know that I'm mamish learning 14 hours or two from my good yeshiva in the morning. I learn a whole day. And I come home at night. I don't stop. I learn, I learn, I learn 14 hours. Oh, I don't learn 14 hours. I was like, wow, 14 hours in a row. That's not, that's not normal. That's like a god. That's like a chayim. I said, but I have to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. He looks at me, what? You're disappointed? I'm like, I really thought that you would be the kind of guy that would learn 18 hours a day. Now, that's not fair. The guy's trying to make me happy. He's trying to be proud. And right once, I just killed him. He's like, I got 14 hours. I'm like, nah, I want 18. So he looks at me and goes, Rebbe, how could you say that to me? I thought you'd be so proud. I'm like, I'm proud, but you got to do 18. He goes, why? I'm like, because it brings down that in the next world, the next world is set up like this world. And it's not covered, Derek Eretz, for a student to sit above a Rebbe. In the Gemara talks, in other words, you just say you have steps, right? The Rebbe sits on the top step and the students sit under him. The student cannot sit above him. So in the next world, wherever the student is in Ganeiden, they have to take the Rebbe and put him above the student. And it's not Derek Eretz for the Rebbe to be under the... So I said, 14 hours, you got to do 18 hours. The higher he gets, the easier I get on top to be on top of him. He said, okay, I'll try to do 15. But anyway, that's the kayak of a student. As the kayak of a child. Your parents, you're not allowed to sit above your parents. So the greater you become, the higher you bring your parents in the next world. That world and this world is exactly the same. It has to be Derech Eretz. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the story starts, I'll tell it to you very fast. So there's a story, um, and he was in, in Lita. Right? Lita, Litvax. Um, a long time, five, six hundred years ago. There was a big tzaddik, his name was Rabzundel. Hachasid. And there was a boy. And his name was Ephraim. And he lost his father. He was a Yassim. And he wanted to learn. And he heard that Reb Zundel had a special school for orphans. He was Megadol Yusayimim. So, he was 17 years old. He left his house. And he went to his Rebbe. He went to Reb Zundel. And he stayed there for six months. And he learned. He learned a lot. And then he went home for Yontif. And then he went back for six months. And he would learn for six months and go home for Yontif. Could learn for six months and go home for Yontif. One day, um, he was going and he got lost. He got lost in a desert. He didn't know where he was. Okay? So he was very, very scared. He was scared. Let me turn off my phone. He was very, very scared that the robbers are going to come and they're going to kill him. And he started running through the forest, running through the desert. He didn't know where he was. And all of a sudden, he saw a huge palace. Oh, he saw a huge palace. So he's all excited. So he comes to the door and he hears there's a lot of people talking by the inside the, inside this palace he got very scared maybe it's, maybe it's a band of robbers I don't know who lives here so he turned around to leave and all of a sudden he heard a voice Ephraim Ephraim from inside the house the castle Ephraim Ephraim Bahena come here so now he realizes he doesn't have a choice who, who knows his name who knows his name in the desert so he goes in and there's a huge table Shulchan Aruch and around the table a huge Sadiqim Zikanim old old Sadiqim and each one of them looked like a Malach Hashem. And in the middle was like the oldest of them all. And he mamish looked like an angel. And he said, Bani, my son, Do you want to meet your Rebbe? That day when that boy left to go to his mother, Rebzundel died. So this is sort of taking place in Shemayim or somewhere in between Shemayim. Okay? So, he was... He, he realized he walked into something here that wasn't from this world, and he was in panic. He couldn't talk. So, he heard the old man called Rav Zundel, Rav Zundel, come in here. So Rav Zundel walked in, and the Bacha saw, the boy saw that his Rebbe, Rav Zundel, was inside the house here, and he was wrapped in his talus and his tefillin. And they took the Rav Zundel, the old man took Rav Zundel outside of the palace. Outside this palace, there were two huge black dogs. And the old man, the tzaddik, made a sign to the dogs. The two dogs attacked Rabzundal, the, the Rebbe. And ripped them to pieces. This boy's Rebbe. When the, when the Talmud, the student, Ephraim, saw this happen, he fell. And he fainted. And he, he just couldn't believe what he just saw. 
one of the old people came, gave him back his soul. He was dead, gave him back his soul. Maybe you didn't understand what you just saw. Would you like to see a Rebbe again? again. He saw that his Rebbe was was and Matulin. Again, the old man signaled to the dogs. Again, they attacked Azundal. They killed him with a terrible death. They turned his body into little pieces. Again, Ephraim died. Now, this is not a joke book. This is, Rabbi Nachman and Asher wrote this. This is like really, real, real stuff. So this is really happening. So again, the, the boy died. He couldn't handle it. So he saw his Rebbe get ripped like that. So they brought him back, and now they brought him back inside. What did you learn from your Rebbe? This Rebbe, that Rav Zunda. What did you learn from him? Every person in the next world, they ask him, what is your favorite mitzvah that you kept? Like, what's your mitzvah? Everybody has a certain mitzvah. What's your mitzvah? So this boy was very scared. So he said, I'm a doctor with mitzvah sitzes. Yaiser, my main mitzvah is sitzes. They said, okay, take off your talus cotton. Let me see your sitzes. And we'll see if it's kosher. So he took it off and they found him with so apostle. His sitzes were apostle. The one mitzvah that he thought he was a special mitzvah was missing two strings and it was apostle. This is the mitzvah that you love. Take it to you. They took this boy Ephraim outside. They brought the dogs. This all of the dogs jumped on him. They ripped out his eyes. And they ripped off his feet. He fell to the ground, screaming and crying. Mommy, daddy. I have Rachmanis on me. Anyway, so one of the old men came to him and said, I don't understand. Um, the mitzvah of tzitzes, we eat them, I say, is to see them. But if you have puzzle of mitzvah, puzzle of tzitzes, you don't have that mitzvah. So what do you need your eyes for? If you didn't use your eyes for the right thing, what do you need your eyes for? So we took your eyes away. So anyway, finally his Rebbe came back. You should know that everything you just saw is true. It's not a dream. Take But I'm going to heal your eyes. And I'm going to heal your feet, said his Rebbe. You need to know that when you left me to go to your house, I died. And they judged me in Shemayim what you just saw. They didn't find one Avera. This Rav Zundel was such a tzaddik. They didn't find one Avera in me. All this is happening to me that I'm getting ripped apart because of a, of a Yisayma, of an orphan, a girl that was an orphan. She gave me money, Lishmar, to watch. And now she wants to get married. She came to my wife. I never told my wife that I had this orphan's money. And she's asking for her money. My wife doesn't know anything about the money. I never told her about the money. So, listen to what he says. I'm reading to you from inside. He says, therefore, Every time there's a tear, a tear from this orphan girl, every time she says a tear, they rip me to pieces. For every tear. Because I should have told my wife, in case something happens to me, where her money is. And this poor has no money. She's getting married. She can't buy a dress. She can't buy anything. She's crying. So in Shemayim, Every time she cries, they rip me to shreds. Therefore, in Shemayim they felt bad, so they brought you here. They brought you here to this place. Get up, go to my house, dig under my bed by the head of the bed, and you'll find a, a vessel. And in there's all the money of the Yisraelim. Rebbe, I don't know where I am. I'm lost in the desert. I don't know where I am. You'll find yourself. Close your eyes and you find yourself right next to the city. Pasach Enov, he opened his eyes. He saw the, he saw the walls of the city. Take the rest of the base of Rebbe. He ran to the Rebbe's house. He saw the Yisraeli was standing by the door crying. So he knew what was going on in Shemayim. They're ripping his Rebbe again. And he went. He found it. 
and he gave miyada, and he gave it into this girl's hand, and he stopped her crying. Ubalayla that night, Boha Rebbe bechaloyim. The Rebbe came to him in a dream. Ba'amaloy to nuach nafshechol begirl at tzadikim that that my, my my soul is resting with the rest of the tzadikim. And because you did this, you saved me. Now, that's a very creepy story. But the, the point of the story, what I said last night is, if they took a tzaddik in the next world like this, and for every tear, they ripped him to shreds, could you imagine chas v'shalom when we cause other people to cry? What the din in Shemayim is going to be? How careful we have to be. He was perfect. But he caused a girl to cry because he didn't tell his wife where the money was. How careful we have to be not to cause another person, another Jew, another human being to shed tears. Crazy, 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 crazy story. So my bracha to everyone here is that you should cause other people to shed tears with tears of happiness. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.